leadership, you know, our country's leadership, uh, law enforcement, and then even on the, on the side of that where, where we see, and I, I mean, I read enough to know, you know, as I see it, and you know what, um, I have, I have African-American friends. How many remember Kyle Rogers? Yeah, he pastors a church, and most of his church is African-American, and we have conversations about it. And I think the challenge is, is that all too often, you know, we, we see it, and so you see the rap sheet of a guy, okay, I get that, and, and that should be taken into consideration, but I think the thing I look at is this, is that is there a, a genuine fear on the part of African-Americans where police are concerned? Yes, there is, and, and, and that has to be acknowledged. And is there a genuine fear on the part of police when, as uh, one of the sheriff that uh, goes on and he comments, and this is what Kyle and I talked a little bit about, um, is that when they're called to a community on a more regular basis and that community is African-American and, and they face certain uh, issues of violence because those people are in poverty and have you know, definite uh, uh, lower in the sense of their ability to get greater education and Right? Would everybody agree with that? That there's an issue? You know, look, most of our congregation's white, so we can say honestly, uh, I don't know what it's like to be black. Any white person in here know what it's like to be black? And so what I'm saying is, is it's important to be in a stance of prayer, not a stance of judgment. When you don't understand, right? It, what's the old uh, adage? Don't judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes. Isn't that right? And so the reason I'm saying that is because what I see is, is there seems to be this bent to bring division between white and black in our nation. And some of you might have saw the Facebook post that I put up, but you know, in all honesty, I think Martin Luther King was one of the greatest leaders that we've ever seen in this nation where civil rights was concerned. One of his statements, you know, when you look at it, that violence, hate is not going to bring about, it's not going to bring us together. And there needs to be a dialogue, I think, not a monologue. And really what we have is a monologue on all sides of this. Everybody's talking at each other and people aren't really coming together and figuring it out. And of all the people, you know what blew my mind seeing in me the media? How many ever heard of the rapper Snoop Dogg? Yeah. Right? Y'all are like, I don't want to admit that I'm in church. <laughs> He's not the cleanest rapper, I can tell you that. But for him to make a statement of how they, he, uh, they came together with law enforcement in L.A., and, and they did a peaceful protest. And for that to be the person, I mean, he kind of does gangster rap in a lot of ways, right? Come on now. And yet in that, you understand there's a difference between entertainment and reality. But entertainment oftentimes can speak to the realities that we face. And a lot of times that's what's going on there. But that, that was the case. Like there's this communication, this dialogue that's taking place and what happens out of that, there can be peaceful expression of the issues that people on all sides are facing. And why am I sharing that this morning? Because I think the church, the church out of anyone should be the ones that are communicating a message of reconciliation, a message of unity. That's what Christ came to do. Christ didn't come to divide us. Christ, he came to, the, now he came to bring a sword of division, but that division was not racist because in heaven, guess what? every nation, tribe, and tongue. So we'll go ahead and say it this way, right? Uh, Y'all could probably do it with me. Red and yellow, black and white, they are. See how you can finish that? Would you say that's what we see? 
in our society today? No. No, it's not. And, and, and to be frank about it, my heart breaks over it. It breaks. I ha- have a book, and it's interesting. I, Kyle and I talk, and, and I gave him you know, that book. and It's called Bound for Canaan. And it, it's a book that speaks all the way back to um, when, when, the, when the civil rights movement began. It didn't actually begin with Martin Luther. What a lot of people don't know and don't research and understand is that, you know, there was white preachers. White preachers were standing in the pulpit because, listen to this, if you, if you would say today that there's a, the minority of African Americans or whatever minority, but if you took the minority today and you compared it, what was it like back then? What was the minority? And it was white preachers who stood in the pulpit and they began to, to cry foul and injustice the way that their black brothers and sisters in Christ were being treated. I want to say to you that I believe that America is on a path right now if it doesn't turn. We will give our children civil war again. And I don't know about you, but I'm not for that. I've been preaching the last couple weeks on the unabated love of God. The unstoppable, a love that will not become weaker, but a love that remains strong and can break through any situation, can minister in any situation. And while preaching this series, I'm watching all that go on, and that certainly doesn't have any reflection whatsoever of the love of God. Everybody agree with that? Now, I'm not a a news reporter, so all the details of it, you know, I, I stay up with current events, or I don't believe that I can minister to the needs of our congregation within context of the society that we live in. When everybody give me an amen. Now, I talk about the gospel, but how does that apply to your life today? And I say that it applies to our life today greater than it has in a long time. That the church has got to rise and it's got to be a voice of love and unity and forgiveness. And you know what? It needs to be the voice of true change. Now, I, I say this in this way. We're to pray for our leaders, Democrat or Republican. You know, is our church, if I, if I was to do it right now, not that, don't raise your hands, whatever you do. How many Democrats are in the room? How many Republicans are in the room? The message I'm going to share with you today might challenge you a little bit on the way you think. Now, I've been a registered Republican, independent. I've never been a Democrat because there's one thing that kind of holds me back from that. Within regard of seeing certain things that have been done by the Democrats that have been good, here, here's what happens. The thing that holds me back is abortion. The murder of babies. You want to know one thing I think? I think that if we continue to murder children in the womb, that this nation is not going to heal. And we think about that. If my people will humble themselves, right, and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. So that's a major issue. I sat with a pastor who, uh, he's an African-American pastor. He pastored in California. And I remember we sat and we talked and, and, and we shared our views. And this guy was in his uh, late 50s and been pastoring longer than me. And I remember sitting there with him and he was, he was straight up Democrat. And we're talking about it and, and he goes, so why are you Republican? I said, because I'm kind of the mindset that 
you know, it's important to teach them how to fish, teach people that are in poverty how to fish, you know, rather than just keep giving them fish. And he goes, you know what? I agree with that. But here's, here's my stance. Most of the people in my church are in poverty. And you know what? They don't have fish. And they got to be given fish to survive. And so there's an element of justice that can happen. But here's the deal. Make no mistake about it. One side or the other, do you know that the ones up there are getting richer off the American people and bringing further divide in American people? And as long as they continue to, to divide the American people, guess what happens? They'll continue to take advantage of the American people on both sides of that coin. Now, before you think, like, Pastor, you shouldn't be talking about politics in the pulpit. No, I'm not supporting one party over the other. Personally, you know, where I stand now is I stand here. Give me good leadership. That's all I want. Give this nation good leadership. And you want to know something? Either side of, of the aisle right now, I don't know where they're reflecting God's love. Are there pockets of it? Yes. So the thing I would say to you, you know, we're going to be moving fast up on the elections, and I'm going to say this like I always say. Whatever you do as a believer, vote your conscience for your nation. That's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility to tell you who to vote for. It's my responsibility to remind you of what the Bible says. And ultimately, whoever you vote for, you have a place because it's government by the people for the people. By the way, if you didn't know, that's a right that's given to you by God, not your government. And the government was established to recognize that you've been given certain unalienable rights by your creator. Our nation was established that way so that there would not be tyranny or, if you will, control of the people, but rather there would be freedom. Come on, who likes the freedom? But make no mistake about it. We could be one generation away from that flipping on us. I mean, see what's going on in Russia right now. Russian, uh, the Russian government just basically banned anyone sharing the gospel out. So you can come and you can talk about the gospel at your church, but you can't talk about it when you leave the building. 7,000 churches right now in Russia, and all of them are kind of like up in arms because they are not allowed to share outside the church. Now somebody tell me, the building. Is the church the building? Church isn't the building, it's you. We are the church. Now, what did Jesus, what, what did Jesus give us a command to do? To stay, right? He said, stay. No, he said, go. You understand, now man says you can't go anymore. Even though your Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, said go, they're saying to the church, stay. How many of you know that go is all about doing what? Preaching the gospel. Making disciples of all nations. Every tribe and tongue. Go. And now, government says stay. Just so you know, they're in a position now. The church is in a position over there. Guess what? They are in a position, just like it was in the book of Acts, when John, when they were going to, Peter and John were going to the gate called Beautiful. Look, I'm not in my outline yet, and I'm sorry, I'm going to try and make this quick. I can't help it. I feel this stirring in my spirit that we have to understand this as a church, that they're going to the gate called Beautiful, and when they do, there's a man that's lame from his mother's womb, meaning before he was born, he was lame in the womb. When he came out, he was lame. And they come upon him, and he's a beggar because it's the only way he can take care of his life. 
And they say to him, they look at him and they say, silver and gold have we none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Takes him by the hand, pulls him up, strength filled his legs, and all of a sudden the guy's dancing around. So when he gets to the temple and he's kind of, wouldn't you dance if you was lame from your mother's womb? You hear, there's a whole lot of excitement. And it drew the attention of everybody, including the Pharisees and Sadducees, the, 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 the ones who who govern the keepers of the law and what happened in that moment that they're sharing the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ silver and gold not man's means but the kingdom of heaven's means for you is what we give to you and heaven's means goes way beyond mankind's means and so he's in the temple and they all recognized him everyone recognized him why because when they they went to the temple a lot okay The Bible talks about they gather uh, uh, from house to house and daily at the temple. Daily. Say daily. We ain't talking just a Sunday happening. I mean, the temple was where it was at. And so they're they're there and everybody knew him because on their way to the temple, they saw that guy sitting there begging. And now he's up dancing around. Hmm. Gets in there. Shows himself. They know. And now the keepers of the law did what? Forbid. They brought them in and they forbid them to preach this God, to preach the name of Jesus. Silver and gold have I name, but such as I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Forbid them. You can't preach that name. Don't talk about this Jesus anymore. Russia, don't talk about this Jesus anymore. Let's just be frank. America, it's been a little bit different. I mean, you can lose your job. You can be suspended from school. You can, you know, all kinds of different things if you talk about Jesus. Make no mistake about it where it's moving. It's moving really, really fast, by the way. I'm shocked at how fast it's moving. Another post I shared was that in Iowa right now, churches are fighting because if you preach from Romans 1 about a moral life, you know, and, and of course, homosexuality and those things, here's the thing. Uh, we don't just preach about homosexuality, we preach about adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all those things that are immoral lifestyles that dishonor God. They're idolatry that holds up in the eyes of man, this is what I want and I don't care what God thinks. So the gospel's either the gospel, and it doesn't mean that it's mean, God's not being mean. What he's doing is just like we do for our children, you can go this far, but don't go any further. <laughs> Come on, guys. I know. Some of you are thinking, man, he seems like he's mad. I'm not mad. I'm extremely passionate right now, though, about what we see going on in our society. And it's like the church, here's what we do. We come in here, we come in here, and we come in here. And, you know, eventually they're going to tell us to stay in here, too. Keep it in there. Don't take it out there. And while you may think that that's not possible, that's exactly what's going on in Iowa right now. The moment that they say one passage of this, one area of this, well, you can't preach that anymore because that's hate speech. Then, then where's that slippery slope that, you know, it starts and, and so, but we'll end it there. So it's up to them. It's up to them what we speak from here. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, it may be according to our government, but here's what happens. You know what takes place when the government starts putting those parameters? Do you think the churches and the Christians in Russia will stop sharing their faith? I think there'll be a little bit of hold back on it because when they start getting persecuted, they'll have a decision to make. Believers will have a decision to make. Am I going to share or am I going to jail? 
It's getting real here. What would you do? Will I share or if I share about my faith, I could lose my job? Y'all hearing me? Watch. Uh, if I share about Jesus, I could lose my friend. Then I won't hear about it and they won't be my friend anymore because I've been talking about this Jesus. Well, if we won't do that, why would we think we'd ever go to prison for it? Y'all hearing me here? And, and, and just so you know, if you go and read the end of the Bible, what you're going to find out is there is an Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit, the Bible says in Thessalonians, that he is already in this earth. And he's worth Antichrist. Say Antichrist. Antichrist. Don't preach that name. We don't want anything to do with Christianity. Shut up. And don't share it. And that will push and push and push until the end time comes. And when the end time comes, it's like, so Pastor, you saying Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Nope. I don't know the day or the hour, but I can tell you this. As I watch things align themselves in the earth and as I see that push become stronger and stronger against Christianity, make no mistake, make no mistake. They said this back then. Uh, it, it says this. It says, um, Jesus said in, in Revelation, he said, I'm coming back soon and very soon. Say soon. That's been over 2,000 years ago. That's all I got to say to you. And that was soon then. What does soon look like now? And do I know what all this means? No, but I do know this. It's meant to shake the church up. It's meant to shake our faith. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken is what Jesus said. And when it starts shaking, what happens is, is we, we get in that place of making a decision. Am I going to stand on this side? Am I going to stand on this side? Am I going to stand on that side of it? Or am I going to stand on the side of God? You hear me now? I'm not talking about the two sports teams that come and they're praying, God, let us win this game. The other one's praying, God, let us win this game. I'm talking about heaven and earth. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all get me when two sports teams are praying. Which one does God answer on that? <laughs> I love you more than them. <laughs> no. God doesn't love one human being over another, does he? He doesn't love one human being over another. But I'll tell you this. All who love his son, who are unashamed to proclaim his name. Do you know that <laughs> that's exactly what the scripture, if you're ashamed to proclaim his name, he'll be ashamed of you. That's heavy, man. I don't know about you, but when I read that scripture, I'm just like, and I, look, I'm there. I get around somebody and I hear him, I'm like, Oh, do I share about Jesus or, you know, right? Why is a serpent harmless as a dove? Know where you got an opportunity, you know, but, but one thing's for sure. Make sure you don't procrastinate your opportunity. Don't, you know, today is the day of salvation. Share salvation with people. Share the gospel with people. Because one thing's for sure. If you didn't know, Islam is the fastest growing religion right now. In, your, in most of the world, in America right now. So what, how does that make you feel as a believer that Islam is growing faster than Christianity? It shouldn't make you fear. It should help you understand that the spirit of Antichrist is at work and he's pushing, he's pushing, he's pushing religion hard. And if you don't accept that, then guess what? You lose your head. Anybody know what it says in the book of Revelation? Right? 
It's not the first time heads were chopped off. You know what I'm saying? It's so vital that we take our Christianity serious and it's more, and you know, and so for the last 20 years, in so many ways, Christianity has been more of a self-help kind of, I'm sorry. I, I know Jesus wants to say, say Jesus, Jesus wants to help me. Sure he does. But it's not a self-help thing. If you care about the kingdom, you care what the Father cares about, and you put your life to that, let, let me just say that take no thought for what you need. He already knows. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and the rest will be added to you. God's already thinking about your needs. God already wants to take care of you. The thing is, is his, just align yourself, come my way, yield your will, take mine on, and what happens is, is I'll, I'll take care of the rest of that. Even in the face of tribulation, even in the face of giving your life. I think about reading stories, and, and some of them I could share, but reading those stories of, of children, children that are literally having their heads cut off, their parents won't renounce their faith. I mean, your child is in front of you and they're about to take your child's head. Renounce Jesus Christ or we're going to cut your kid's head off. Nope. I don't know about you, but, you know, that hypothetical for me, I think about it. I'm holding little Elijah and they got little Elijah and they're going to chop his head off and think, okay, just for now. <laughs> I'd hope that I wouldn't. You get what I'm saying? I, in, in, in me, I believe that I wouldn't. But until we're in that kind of situation... It's very important for us to understand that if we won't do it for the fear of rejection of a friend, or we won't do it for the criticism of a, 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 a work colleague, or you know, for fear of what our employer might say, or the school might say, why would we think that we would give our life for it? Yeah. With that, preaching about love. I'm going to recap real quick. Today I'm going to talk about ambassadors of unabated love. Ambassadors of unabated love. Ultimately, the challenge I just gave all of us, including myself, is this. Is that if I'm an ambassador, that means I represent the place that I come from and nothing else influences my thoughts or the consistency of my actions with regard to the benefit of the kingdom I'm a part of or the one who sent me. To be an ambassador, like we have ambassadors in other nations and when they go to represent America, guess what? They're there to represent our cause while understanding that one. By understanding theirs, great, but we're here to represent America's needs, quote unquote. But we are in this world, once we give our life to Christ, we are uh, new creations in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. We're in this world, we're not of it. We're journeying through, I talked about last week, we're, we're here, but, but we're not of this world. We're meant to be of heaven. We're meant to be of the kingdom of God and to advance his cause and to share his message so that all who hear may come to the Lord and know the love of God and, and ultimately be changed and transformed themselves into that new creation because of the work of Christ Jesus. I talked about, like in a hotel room, that, that for God, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So uh, his way is open. Jesus, the Bible says he opened the way. He, 
He gives us that ability to come in a new and living way, that gate, if you will, that's open. Um, he says that enter in by the narrow gate for few, uh, few be on the, I'm going King James slash NIV here. Uh, enter by the narrow gate. There's few that are on the narrow road that leads to life everlasting, but there's many that are on the broad road that leads to death and destruction. And Jesus says, enter by that narrow way. He has opened that way for us to enter in and walk in the new and living way. And so talking about that, I said that if you have ever stayed in a hotel room with adjoining rooms, it's kind of like, you know, it's got a lock on the one side of the door and a lock on the other side. So both rooms are able to lock the door. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Might be surprising in the middle of the night. You're in your room and the next thing you know, somebody opens the door, it's, uh, you know, on. <laughs> Who is that? But here's the thing. God opens the door from his side. When Jesus died on the cross, he opened the, his side's unlocked. And, and what I said is we kind of pick and choose where we want it locked and unlocked. It's like, well, I want God in my life here, but I'm not sure about there. So we open it. We get what we want. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Boom. It's almost like room service is what we're ordering from God. And, and God's not, like, Jesus came to serve mankind, but you don't want to treat him like a servant. You get what I'm saying? He voluntarily serves us. So when you open the door, everything's accessible. But what you'll find is, is that you will only access what you want. And then you lock the door. He can stay on the other side. Give an area of your life, whatever area that may be. I'm probably going to preach the fastest message around my notes that I ever have. And you're all thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> so we're talking about the unabated love of God. Let me recap real quick. Unabated, continuing at full strength or force without becoming weaker. The first week of our series, we talked about how God's unabated love is unbreakable. It's unending. It's unselfish. It's unmerited. And it's unchanging. You can't do anything to change who God is. You can't, you can't cause him to, well, I'll withhold my love from you. His love is there for you. The question is, will you open yourself up to receive it? Will you yield to him? The second message that we shared was the catalyst of unabated love. The catalyst, a person or thing that uh, uh, precipitates an event or change. And we, we discovered that Jesus was the catalyst he was the one that precipitated that change right and and where it took place was the event of calvary when he died on the cross at calvary he brought change that can't be turned back he brought a change that is catalytic and it cannot be stopped it's unabated he stood in the gap the first thing we learned he stood in the gap the second thing he saved us from hell and the third thing he restored our relationship with god we learned that his love is a forgiving love, a redeeming love, a compassionate love, and a healing love. That's all that he wants to do in our life. So let's read our, our series scripture out of 1 John 4, 7-12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the purchase price. Eleven, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's where I want to focus today. This love that we have been 
given is meant to be shared. It's not meant to be kept to ourselves. It is meant to be shared. This love comes from heaven and can only be accessed through the catalyst. That love, that unabated love, can only be accessed through Jesus Christ. But it's meant to be shared. When we recognize that we are called to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, we represent exactly what we've been saved to do. Be ambassadors, be witnesses of that love. Let me read to you here the, the word ambassador. An accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. So let, let's say it this way. We're going to exchange country for kingdom. We're, we've been accredited. Our credentials are this, that I'm born again. That I've been saved. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on the cross to redeem me from a lost state to save me from my transgressions, from my sins, and, and bring me back into a reconciled relationship with my heavenly Father. Therefore, translating me, say translating, translating me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So the fall of mankind that subjects the world to darkness, all of a sudden, by the, the, by the work of Christ, I'm translated out of that darkness and, and into the marvelous light of God. And living in that marvelous light means representing the kingdom of God. Let me read to you uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he reconciled us and turns and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Say ambassador. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, meaning not charging their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That, that it's not even our, like, my abilities. I've got to figure this all out. Nope, the word of God. He's given us, not only has he given us the ministry of reconciliation, he reconciled us through Christ, gives us the ministry of reconciliation, and he gives us the word so that we can reconcile others to Christ. We're not representing our own thoughts. We're representing the thoughts of the kingdom of God, say ambassadors. See, we are the ambassadors of the unabated love of God. Reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That as an ambassador, the message we speak has a, 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 an element of passion and it has an element of urgency that if this message, if I don't share this message with the people that God has given me influence with, if I don't share the message of his love, that they too, God sent his son to reconcile them. If I don't share that, and I want to say it this way and say it softly, their blood is on my hands. What if I was the only one in their life that could share that message with them? And when I stand in heaven, the account that I give of being an ambassador for the kingdom of God, whom I belong to, is I didn't do what God made me an ambassador to do. He reconciled me because of Christ, gave me the ministry of reconciliation, and it's like, yeah, but I don't know how to. Right here. That, that you're in the word to the point that you understand the value of it and you love it so much that it's like you hear somebody say something and you're like, oh, they've got that issue going on in their life. Hey, let me help you know. See, the, the door is unlocked from God's side. Let me help you to know how to unlock it from yours where that's concerned. 
And oh, by the way, if you didn't know, pretty much everything about life that you're looking for is right here. And you'll find yourself reconciled to God where your marriage is concerned. You find yourself reconciled to God where parenting is concerned. You find yourself reconciled to God where it comes to relating to people that aren't like you. Yes, I just tagged again what we see going on in our world. The problem is, is man is not reconciled to God, therefore can't treat others as he himself wants to be treated. Come on, somebody say golden rule. Can you bring my water? Love God, love others, right? And if that unabated love that God has extended to us and, and we can't turn and share it with others, then is it working in our own life? Is, is, are we reconciled to God? So I don't know about you, but I had a few times in my life, quote unquote, where I, it's like, you know, growing up as a kid, it's like, you know, I get baptized in water, I do all those things, I'm not really living for God, I didn't understand my commitments necessarily, but I feared God. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. So the beginning of wisdom was going on in my life, and I did fear God, but I didn't really know God. And then at 19 years old, I come into a relationship, and I start to get to know God, and I begin to read his word, and I begin, man, that's right there. That's right there. Now, you know, I'm married, and so it's like, man, she really just, you know, she doesn't understand me, and I certainly don't understand her. Come on, men in the house. And sometimes like, man, I just scratch my head. God, can you help me with this? I know she's your daughter. The word says that she is, and so can you help me understand how to relate to her? Because you made me very different from her, right? <laughs> Vice versa for her, I'm sure. But in the midst of that, wrestling with those things, I found that God's word, it reconciled me. It reconciled my thoughts, exchanged my thoughts for his thoughts, and I began to approach those situations in my life from his provision, not my own. His ways, not my own. It required me to yield, though. It required me to unlock. Rather than staying over here with the door locked, and I'll figure this one out and unlock. Hey, just give me that one thing. Thank you. I don't need you there. Right? I unlocked it. I let him in. And I let him in. And I let him in. And I find some place that it's locked, and I'm not allowing God to work in that area of my life it's like man I'm not reconciled to you where that's concerned because I want it locked where that issue's concerned I want it locked where this issue's concerned but I want to open see I want it open where it comes to forgiveness of my sins and I want it open to where it comes to he loves me and I want it open to it but but do I want it open to where it comes to repenting of my sins my side and do I want it open where it comes to loving other people and do I want it open come on now y'all got to say amen somewhere I want to be reconciled to God in all areas of my life, not some areas of my life. Amen. Hmm. All right. Let me move along here. I'm going to do this in 12 minutes. Generally speaking, an ambassador, an ambassador is respect, a respected official acting as a representative of a, a nation or a kingdom sent to a foreign land. The ambassador's role is to reflect the official position of the sovereign body that gave them authority. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul likens his own calling to that of an ambassador. And he urges all Christians to consider themselves ambassadors for Christ. The gospel of reconciliation was always at the heart of Paul's preaching. This is what he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 1.17. Our reconciliation with God is possible only because Christ 
went to the cross and received the punishment due for our sins. When our Savior cried out, it is finished, the barrier between sinful man and a holy God was removed, making all those who trust in him holy in his sight without blemish. Listen, free from accusation. Satan is the accuser of the brother. He, day and night, he accuses you and I before the throne of God. But Jesus is right there, your advocate. Say, my advocate. My advocate is before the Father. And Satan can accuse, but what, the, what, what Jesus does is he says, I died for that. But that one did this, and yeah, I died for that too. And I died for that, and I died for that, and I died for that. You can't get a better lawyer than Jesus. You can't get a better lawyer than Jesus. You know, all I got to say, there was a, a friend of mine preached a message years ago, and he, it, it was called Kill the Lawyer. That we have a lawyer inside of us that wants to defend ourselves to God. We want to defend, but, but God, you don't, and, you, and they don't understand, and they don't understand, and, and it doesn't matter. Jesus died for all of it, so go ahead and just, you know what, surrender. Say surrender. Uh, and, and what does that mean? It's kind of like this. You got the uh, attorney-client privilege with Jesus, and he's saying nothing to nobody, and what he's going to do is he's going to, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful, and somebody say just, just. to forgive it, see? Because he died for it. And in that moment, what happens is, is he's standing before the Father and that accusation about your life, about an area of your life where the door is locked and needs to be open to God, the provision of his intercession, that when he's standing before the Father, making intercession or being your advocate, saying, I died for it. Just unlock the door and accept it so that it can change your life. See, the best for you to do is to uh, basically be free from guilt. And I found that people's guilt hold them prisoner far better than bars will ever do. Let me say that again. People's guilt hold them prisoner far better than any bars would ever do. And Jesus came so that you can be free from your guilt and your shame. See? <clears throat> so, uh, going on there, it says, Our reconciliation is based on the salvation Jesus provided and is accepted by faith. John 3.16 Christians are God's ambassadors in that they have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, according to 1 Thessalonians 2.4. As we go through this world, we represent another kingdom, John 18 and 36, and it is our responsibility to reflect, reflect the official position of heaven. We are in this world, but not of it. John 17, 16, God's ambassadors are to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as dove, doves. Excuse me. Matthew 10, 16, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must take the message of our king to the ends of the earth. And Acts 1, 8, imploring men and women everywhere to be reconciled to God. So, with that, the big idea then today is when we are, when we, excuse me, when the unabated love of God is present in our life as a believer, if you will, as an ambassador, because when you're a believer, you're an ambassador of his kingdom, when it's present, it will be visible in five key areas. Here they are. Number one, it will be visible in our love for the Savior. Love for the Savior. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Revelation 2, 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That's Jesus speaking to the church, that yeah, you're doing these works and you're doing that and you're doing that, but you're not in love with me anymore. You know, I want to ask you today, are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with him? Think of the rich young ruler. 
He's able to come, and that first scripture I read to you there, he's able to come and he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What, what do I do to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God? Jesus says, you know the commandments. I've done all these from my birth. And Jesus lays one last statement out. He says, go sell everything you have. Rich young ruler, he's got a lot. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. And he went away sorrowful. See, he could do the commands, but he couldn't love the Savior. It's both. And if you love, you, love him, you'll keep his commandments. And the reality is, is you won't have a problem keeping his commandments if you're in love with him. And so both of those give us a great measure of where our love for the Savior is at. Number two, love for the Scriptures. Love for the Scriptures. John 5, 39, oh, how I love your law. Uh, it is my meditation all day. It's like, I got to read God's word. I got to read all day long. No, no. You, you could even just take the morning and read a few scriptures and head off to work or wherever you're going. And it just keeps coming up and you're meditating on it. You know, you're thinking on it. You got a specific situation. Look, with Google today, there is no reason why you can't find scriptures that speaks to your current situation, right? I think Jeremiah wanted a scripture right before we come. I'm like, you know, this just kind of came to mind. And uh, say, hey, he had his phone in there. I said, look up that scripture. It popped right up. You know, I, I've read it enough that I've got some recollection. It says this. I don't know exactly where that's at. Google, there it is. Okay, here's what it said, right? And then and because it's something that's stirring in me, it's a thought that I have going on or a situation that's going on, what happens when I read that scripture, it sticks with me all day long. And I'm meditating on what God has to say about the situation. And because I'm meditating on what God has to say about the situation, what happens is, is that I'm in meditating, all of a sudden, his thoughts are better than my thoughts. His ways are higher than, or his uh, ways are higher than my ways, and they're better than my ways. So when I start to meditate on it, what I'm doing in meditating and aligning myself with the way it is from God's point of view, I'm unlocking the door from my side. I'm gaining access and being reconciled to the way God sees that in my life. Amen? So, uh, you know, how does God's word apply to your life? Write that down under there. How is God's word applying to your life right now in this room? How will God's word apply to your life when you leave this room? How will God's word apply to your life tomorrow, the next day? How does God's word apply to your life where being a parent's concerned, where being, uh, you know, a child or a sibling how does God's word apply to your life in your workplace? How does it apply with your boss? How does God's word apply with your finances? How does God's word apply where your prayer life is concerned? How does it apply to where there's conflict in your life? On and on and on. You, the list can just keep going and on, on and on and on. Whatever your situation, the Bible will have something to say about it. <clears throat> Number three, love for the sanctuary. Love for the sanctuary. John 5, 39. Oh, how I love your law. It is my... Oh, I'm sorry. Jumped. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, that, and so much more as you see the day approaching. As you see that, that day of the Lord when he returns, that, that over 2,000 years ago, soon and very soon, right? I'm coming. We're closer and closer and closer, and the closer that we get, it is so much more important that we gather with believers and we encourage one another and we challenge one another to continue to live for the Lord and be a witness, to be an ambassador 
of his kingdom and of his love. Listen to what it says here in Psalms 122. Uh, in verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I don't know about you, husband and wives in the room. There's times where Angie and I, you know, going to church, she's like, um, you know, hey, let's go to church. I'm like, I don't feel like going to church. Oh, come on, let's go to church, right? She's encouraging me. And here's the deal. I got there and God speaks something to me and I was glad that she encouraged me and said, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Can you see what I'm saying? You ever encouraged one another that way? I just want to sleep in today. I don't want to go to church, right? You know what's funny is, is um, this is kind of one of those things. Do you know husband and wives actually have um, a lot of their arguments on the way to church? Yeah. Did you know that? Oftentimes, you know, it's like you get in an argument, it's like, oh, let's just not go. I've found so often that that's the way the enemy wants to distract us from what God wants to do in our life. So don't let that be. Don't forsake the gathering together and have people in your life that are like, hey, let's go to church. Uh, you know, hey, you can pull out your, who's got a smartphone? Pull out a smartphone, hold it up high if you've got a smartphone. Right? Man, we have folks that just aren't, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that you can actually go to Facebook or those friends that you have and you can say, hey, why don't you come up to the house of the Lord? Why don't, hey, come to church with me. Yeah, see? Man. You never know. You might help them unlock the door from their side and experience that God has unlocked it from his. Number four, love for the saints. Love for the saints. 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who, uh, begot, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus summed it up in two, love God with all your heart. All your mind, all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John 4, 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides. I mean, he stays in us. And his love has been perfected in us. And where that love is, as I, I shared when I was praying earlier for what we see going on in our country right now, when the love of God in us, the Bible says this. Fear is torment. And perfect love casts out all fear. Fear can't stay where love abides. Because God is love. If he abides in you, everywhere you go, you're taking love. And what that does, his love, the unabated love. I'm not talking man's, I like you when I like you, and I don't like you when I don't like you. God's love is unconditional. That's why it's unabated. It cannot be stopped. It does not grow weaker. And when that love abides in us, what happens when we go into a situation as an ambassador we're carrying the love of God's kingdom, not our human love. We're carrying his unconditional love. And when we carry that love into the situation and we start speaking into people's lives who have hate in their heart. You know, I sat with a, a young lady who um, she was molested as a child. Um, needless to say, there's a whole long story to all of it. But I sat with her and I, I know as it was going on, the situation that she was sharing is, is, I mean, it's bitter, it's angry, there's definitely some hate, right, going on a little bit, maybe. Um, and in that, it's kind of like, well, here's what you know, because she's, she's already broken away from certain things and, like, starting to understand. She's like, you know, 
the thing is, is I was in the lies and in the, and, 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 and this person talked about God and so on all the time. And it's like, and, and, and would manipulate the word. Matter of fact, this person came up with, uh, concocted that basically Judas was good. He fulfilled God's purpose. So in that him and Jesus worked this out before the foundations of the earth, him and Jesus worked out everything. And then when they was in the earth, uh, Judas did his part. I'm like, man, that person, I mean, they must have been smoking crack while they were reading the Bible, man. Right? It's just so, so heretical in, in its nature. It's not even, no words for it, to be honest with you, except for stupidity. And in that, she was talking about all these things she'd heard and where the scripture was twisted and it was made to say what this person wanted. Like, well, the reason why I'm the way I am is because I'm fulfilling God's purpose in this, just like Judas fulfilled God's purpose in his time. So you, got, you have permission not to show God's kind of love and other people, you know, don't. You, you see how stupid that is? Maybe stupid is too harsh of a word. Ignorant. And she was talking about that and it's almost like, a, I don't know. It's like, I don't know what I believe anymore. I said, because you're going back to the foundation and you're having to rebuild your beliefs, your values, your norms or your behaviors and then the results of life, life or death. Choose this and live, God says. Choose life and live. And when you go into his ways and you read his scriptures, and by the way, you're not twisting them to, to accommodate lifestyle, you're not making your theology match up to, to accommodate the things that you want to keep locked from your side, right? But you're taking it for what it says, and you're unlocking and letting God in to reconcile you where you need to be reconciled, amen? That young lady... It was interesting as we sat there and I began to speak the words. I just said, you know, one thing I'll tell you, as you begin to believe your belief system and you're going to Jesus and your relationship with him and you're, you're allowing God's word, the washing of the water his word, as it's coming in, as you're allowing God and the relationship to God, because see, you've been looking to man, be it the, it's a father or a friend or whoever it is, you're looking to man. See, I wouldn't want you to look to me. I want you to go to the word of God and I want you to pursue Jesus with everything you are. Why? Because if you're pursuing him, I, I promise you this. If you seek him, you'll find him. If you knock, he will open the door and he will let you in, right? And by the way, it says if you'll open the door, I will come in. The Spirit of God will come in. The Father and I will come and we'll make our abode, right? He abides. What I just read a few minutes ago, he'll make our abode in you. God's presence will dwell in you. And, and trust me this, when God's presence is dwelling in you, God won't mislead you. He won't mislead you. And so for that young lady having to rebuild that, and here's the thing, know this, bitterness, anger, hate, malice, all those uh, works of the flesh are a locked door from your side that doesn't let the fruit of the Spirit come in and operate so that you can live the life that Jesus came, died on the cross that you could. Hmm. 1 John um, 4 and 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. When the saints walk in love, when you're an ambassador of God's love, then God's love will be seen by the world. Jesus said that by, the, by your love for one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. By the Believers, see that's referring to the believers. By your love, by our love for one another, the more we love each other and we're serving each other in that context of, of God's kind of love, what happens is, is other people 
see that love. And it's so important for people in this world to see that kind of love. Amen. The final one in closing, love for the sinners. Love for the sinners. Mark 2, 13 through 17. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house, the many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. (laughs) And they followed him. That's not saying believers, saints followed him. That's saying that sinners and tax collectors followed Jesus. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Interesting enough, do you know that that statement was actually to the Pharisees and Sadducees as well? A lot of people, a lot of people share that, and here's what they say. That Jesus was saying some people are healthy and some are sick. Right? Uh-uh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the Pharisees were whole. They didn't need Jesus, right? No. When Jesus made that statement, basically what he was saying is that he didn't come for those that were whole. He came for those that were sick. And watch this. That when he made that statement, it was left up to them to see themselves how they were. Pharisees had the door locked from their side. Jesus' proclamation was this. Look, it's open from my side, right? Think about it this way. He's saying it's open from my side. If you can perceive yourself to have, have a need for what I've come to offer, come on in. Because the door's open from my side. The Pharisees were self Their self-righteousness kept their door locked. While others, tax collectors and sinners, were coming and following him. And you know what's crazy about it is they were receiving all that heaven had to offer while the Pharisees and Sadducees sat back and said, we're good enough. We don't need Jesus to help us because we're healthy. Not understanding that all mankind is sick with sin, the disease that sin is. Now look, Matthew 22 and 39 makes this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's the interesting part about the neighbor. When we hear the the parable of the Good Samaritan, everybody remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? There's a, there's a conversation taking place with the lawyers, with the Pharisees and Sadducees, with the, the keepers of the law. And it's kind of like this. Well, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't go, well, this person or that person. Jesus says, well, there was a Samaritan. Somebody say Samaritan. If you're white in the room, let's do it this way. There was a black person. If you're black, there was a white person. You know, or we could say Hispanic or however you want to go with that. Because that's the way it was. See, Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus is talking to the keepers of the law. In other words, the Jews 
of the Jews. They're the ones that told the other Jews what they ought to be doing. Jesus comes along, and what he does is he said, see, there was a certain uh, man who fell among thieves, and there was a Samaritan. So he talks about it this way. He says, so there was a, a, um, a scribe. He comes along, and basically he sees the, the man who fell among thieves, and what he does is he crosses over the road. He, go, he walks away from the need. He goes on a teacher of the law, and all of a sudden, what's he do? He, he makes his way around the man who fell among thieves. And then the Samaritan man comes along, and what happens is the Samaritan man comes up to the man who fell among thieves, and what he does is he uh, basically takes of his time, his training, his transportation, and his treasure. He's going to do everything he can to help this man who's been basically beat within an inch of his life. And he's not one of his own. You getting that? What he does is it says that he, he, uh, he, he cleanses the wound, he treats the wound, puts some oil on the wound, right? He's given of his, his stuff, things that belong to him to take care of this man. He binds the wound, and then he puts him on his donkey, right? And transports him to a place called an inn, basically to a hotel. And he puts him up in the hotel, and what he does is he takes to the innkeeper and he gives him some money and says, look, I'm going to give you this to take care of him. And when I come back, if, if you need more, then, then I'll give you the additional that you need. And basically until he's whole. That's who our neighbor is. And I would say this. It's kind of the, the statement. It's those other people. It's them. It's the person that I might not take any interest in on a regular basis. And all of a sudden they come across my path. And I care enough to share the gospel. I care enough to be an ambassador of all that God has to offer. Now let me say it this way. I care enough to offer the treasures of, tre- of heaven. I care enough to offer up the training. The, what I know of God's word. I may not know everything, but what I do know. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. What can I give them in the name of Jesus? What's my witness? What's my testimony? What has he done in my life that I can offer them? I care enough to whatever it takes to get them where they need to go. I want to help transport them there. That might just be some directions. You know what I'm saying? And I care enough that I will give of my time. You understand everything that that man gave was what we all consider to be the most valuable in our life. The question is, does the gospel of Jesus Christ trump everything else? in our life. And if it does, I want to say that you understand what it is to be an ambassador. To be an ambassador, when, 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 when you go as an ambassador, when, when your country says, let's say it this way, when they say to the ambassador, hey, this is what we want you to talk about, this is the direction we want you to take it, that's exactly what they do, because they're there to represent what their country wants. When the kingdom of God, when you're reading the word and it says, this is what I want you to do, love me, love others. That's what we do. And we find that possibility in the most impossible situations. We find the possibility of bringing the kingdom of God because that's where we're from. And we cannot help ourselves but to bring the kingdom that we're from and to represent the kingdom that we're from. We are the ambassadors of the unabated, the unstoppable 
a love that never grows weaker, a love that God gave through His Son, Jesus Christ. Stand your feet with me if you would.